one of our own today teaching us. And uh, so, Bill, time is yours, buddy. Thank you. For those, <clears throat> excuse me, for those of you who, <clears throat> sorry about that, been fighting, you know, that stuff that's going around. <laughs> it came around. <laughs> but uh, for those of you who may not know me, I know there's a lot of folk that have come into the church since uh, I began my ministry. Uh, this, but this was my first full-time ministry here at Calvary Bible Church. I started back with Barry Schultz was just a teenager. <laughs> In 1969. And I spent uh, almost four years here and then a couple of years in Kalamazoo and then pastored for a church in Wisconsin for four years and in Burton for 11 years. And then uh, after all that, came back here. <laughs> to uh, attend and participate as much as God would allow. But I counted a privilege. Uh, I was uh, pleasantly surprised when pastors asked me if I would uh, minister. Uh, I said, uh, yeah, sure. You know, it'd like been you know, a few decades. But, <laughs> but uh, as uh, Lance told me this morning, he says, it's like riding a horse. You know, you just get on it. You never forget how. So... Lord willing, uh, this time together will be a blessing for all of us, including me, because I just, I just uh, am amazed how every time one opens the Word of God, it becomes fresh all over again. Um, there's nothing that's, well, the Word of God is ageless. It never gets stale, never gets old, and... Uh, if you really study through and understand the meaning, even the begats aren't boring. <laughs> and so I hope that uh, our time together will be profitable for all of us. We're going to be going into the fifth chapter of the book of Galatians today. Galatians chapter 5. I'll wait for the pages to quit rustling and then we'll have a word of prayer. Or the uh, tablets to quit beeping or whatever the case may be. All right, let's pray together, shall we? Father, we thank you for the privilege that you granted us to have in our possession your very words. The word that is inspired, infallible, inerrant, and eternal. And Father, I thank you that, that from it we can gain the, the necessary principles and instruction to live a life that is not only meaningful, but Father, pleasing in your sight, and fulfilling for us. So Lord, we pray now that you might uh, take me and hide me behind Jesus. And then Lord, let your spirit speak this morning to our hearts and cause us, Lord, to come to be changed, not just in educated, not just informed, but to be changed by the work of your Holy Spirit this morning. We'll thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, we're living in a time of exaggerated selfishness. I don't know if you've noticed that. But, uh, you know, they talk about the me generation. Well, people, I think, have always, you know, kind of been somewhat selfish. But 
I don't think any more so than today. In fact, I have heard it over and over. It's my life. I'll live it my way. Well, sadly, this has manifested itself in the church, even where Jesus is kind of marginalized and we follow our own agenda. You know, we fit Jesus and the church in when it's convenient. And if things, if he doesn't fit our schedule, then, well, that's too bad. What is not recognized is that no individual has control or rule of their own life. A lot of people say, it's my life. Well, it may be your life, but you're not in charge of it. There was a uh, contemporary songwriter from the 60s by the name of Bob Dylan. Some of you may remember him. He once wrote a lyric that said, you've got to serve somebody. The problem then is who or what is in control of our lives and what kind of a life is lived out because of that. Now Paul dealt with this issue when he wrote to the church in Galatia. And one of the main areas he addressed was the conflict of two laws. The law of the flesh, the old man, and the law of the spirit of life in Christ. Every Christian lives in accordance with with and under the authority of one of those laws. We can't avoid it. And the truth is, each believer has to decide on an ongoing experience under what authority they will choose to live. Now Paul makes it very clear that the pattern of life one will live and follow is based on each person's choice. And really the whole issue comes down to a, an old, an old uh, what shall I say, theological term that some churches have avoided using because they're afraid of being identified with a, a crowd that they don't fellowship with. But the thing is, the issue is really sanctification. The word sanctification just means to set apart from and, and set un, apart unto. And the issue is, how is this sanctification achieved? Now, in Galatians chapter 3, if you want to turn back there just for a second to, the, to, check, to verses 1 through 3, <clears throat> Paul says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. <clears throat> Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected or brought to maturity by the flesh? See, that's what sanctification is all about. It's understanding that you've begun in one way, and in order to achieve the life that is a sanctified life, a one that is set apart unto God, you've got to, achieve, you've got to continue in the same way you started. But Christians often get the idea that, well, okay, I'm saved on my way to heaven. Now it's time to live my life. That doesn't work. It just doesn't work. So let's go over now to Galatians 5 where I, that I alluded to earlier. And I want to read through verses 16 through 20 through 25. 
Paul writing to the church and saying, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, and don't you like that conjunction? You know, whenever you see that little word, but, it means there's a whole change, a 180 degree change in things. But, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also Walk by the Spirit. I've divided this portion up into three different areas. The first area covers verses 16 through 18. It's life's foundation. Life's foundation. Paul says, walk. Now, a lot of people say, what do you mean, walk? Walk. Well, that's not just, you know, putting one foot in front of the other. The word in the original literally means to walk around. It's how I live my life as I go through life. My walk is my lifestyle. It's what I do. It's how I live. And that is what Paul is referring to. I say walk, that is live out your life. How? By, that is, by means of, or in the sphere of, the Holy Spirit's power and control. And that has a direct result. You will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Now, when you see that word flesh, it's not referring to this. <laughs> you know, the stuff that your blood runs through and that's hanging on your bones and so on and so forth. That's, uh, that's literal flesh, but he's speaking of a spiritual entity. It's the old man or the carnal nature or the natural man. It's that part of you that came to life at the moment you were conceived. You were then you were suddenly a person of the flesh having a nature that is separated from God by, by, very, by the very essence of not being, uh, you know, part of God. And if you wonder, you know, that, and that's it's called a sin nature. If you've ever wondered, well, aren't children kind of innocent until so-and-so? Really? <laughs> Any of you that have had children... <laughs> Know that they are not by nature, uh, what shall I say, uh, outgoing and loving and so on and so forth. They might be that at times, but when they have made up their mind, something that they want, 
They want it now. You ever go into a nursery and watch little kids playing with toys and also one kid will grab that one toy from another kid? Mine! And all of a sudden there is some intense fellowship. <laughs> See, that's the way people are, naturally. That became our nature in the garden when Adam ate the fruit and separated all of mankind from God. We are born sinners. We are conceived as sinners. We don't have to learn to be a sinner. We're a sinner by nature. We have to learn what's right. And if we do do things that are right, it's not because that's our whole nature. It's because we feel the pressure of you know, society around us or, or of our parents who know that if we do, don't do what's right, uh, we will receive some, uh, what shall I say, well, spoil the rod and spoil the child, you know. There will be some discipline involved. Not because they don't like their children, but parents discipline their children because they don't want them to go off into a path that is going to be deleterious to their whole being. That's the flesh. Now, the flesh is run, expresses itself. You will not carry out the desire of the flesh. That is, the flesh exerts power. It says, I want this or I want that. You know, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Those are the three areas Satan tempted Eve. And, and uh, Eve didn't even have to tempt Adam with all that. She just had to stand there and look good. <laughs> he said, oh, I'll take some of that. But this flesh has its desire. And, but the thing is, it can only exert power over us. The flesh can only carry out its desire. That is, for us who know the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, let me clarify that. Now, the natural man, he can only fulfill the desire of the flesh. But if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, then you have the right to not give in to the flesh. Let me read real quickly from the book of Romans, chapter 6. You don't need to turn there unless you desire to do so. But I just want to read a few verses. Paul writing to the church at Rome and saying, What shall I, we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it. Or do you not know that all of us who were baptized, now there's no water here, this is speaking of a spiritual operation of, the, of, the, of God through the Holy Spirit by which we are placed into Christ. That's what the word baptized means. All of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death. Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this. Now listen. 
very carefully, that our old man was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with. That word, that phrase done away with does not mean eradicated. People cannot eradicate their sin nature. We still have it. First John tells us that very clearly. But literally the phrase means to be rendered inoperative or stripped of authority. So that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. What shall we say then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness. See, the truth is that in Christ we have died to sin's power over us. Have you ever seen a deceased person be able to do anything? No. They are dead. They can't function. They can't respond to anything. And that's the mindset that we have to have in relationship to our sin nature and to the desires that it, that it uh, communicates to us and, to, and that the world could, tries to surround us with. And it does. I'm dead to that. I'm dead to that. I'm dead to that. The Bible says keep on presenting yourselves dead to sin and alive unto God. Make it a habit of life. It is a present tense thing. Constantly, continually be presenting yourselves as dead unto sin and alive unto God. Now, verse 17 describes that constant tension between the flesh and the spirit. The spirit sets its desire against the, and the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not, that is, you don't have a right to determine or to rule your life, so that you may not do the things that you please. Remember Romans chapter 7, Paul says, Oh, man, that I. He was, in, he was frustrated. Why? Because. He had a desire to do what was right, but he couldn't achieve it on his own. You have to give yourself to the proper control, the proper ruler, the proper authority. Then you can live the right life. And then verse 18 concludes this this very thought. But if or sense. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. When the Spirit is in control and directing us through our life by His power, and that's part of the leading of the Spirit, He empowers us to live the way we should. He doesn't just say, go there. He says, let me give you the the ability to do that. That's what Ephesians 5.18 is so cool. Where it says, a lot of people see it as, as primarily a temperance verse. Be not drunk with wine, for this is excess. Well, no, we should probably, you know, it's not good to be drunk with wine. But, the thrust of that verse is, but be filled by the Spirit. 
And that command is a present tense imperative, which means constantly, continually, as a habitual pattern of life, be filled, and the word filled means controlled by the Spirit. Now, how does that filling manifest itself? I remember the floods of a couple years ago in uh, Louisiana and down south, Texas, and so on and so forth. You can see this water, and here's a river, and in that river is a house floating down the river. See, that's what it means to be filled by the Spirit. We are so under its influence that we have no will of our own. We only, have, we only, want to fo- we only follow His will. Being filled with the Spirit doesn't mean we get more of the Spirit. That means He gets all of us. And that's the Christian life that is successful. Now in verses 19 to 24, we have the life contrasted. The life contrasted. Verse 19 says, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are, and it goes through all those all that list of nasty stuff, and even and it concludes that list and things like these. It's not a what you'd call a uh, an, a comprehensive, complete list of all the things that the flesh produces, because there's a lot of others that probably aren't in, that aren't in here that maybe in this day and age we should include, like gluttony, gossip, backbiting, tailbearing, <laughs> animosity toward people despising others because of who or because of what they look like or what have you those are the works of the flesh those are the works of the flesh and notice the flesh produces outward actions works it talks all those things that are listed here and all the other things are things that are that manifest themselves in your life. Their works. And when, when the flesh produces its work, even when some of them are viewed as good works, you know, some people that don't know the Lord are charitable and so on, and they seem to be, you know, boy, he's a good person. You ever hear of a guy by the name of Al Capone? I think some of you probably read about him in the history books and he was a notorious Chicago mobster. He probably ordered more killings and Carter has little, little liver pills. He was, he was quite an evil man, but he was also a man who every Christmas would go around to all the poor kids in the neighborhood and hand out gifts and money to the families. See, he was evil, but he still could do works that appeared to have some merit to them. That's the way the flesh is. Some people appear to have merit to their life, but if it's only empowered by the sin nature, it has no righteousness in it. Even when some produce things that appear as good works, then if God isn't in control, then these good works aren't glorifying God and they become of no value and can't be blessed by God. As a Christian, we can even minister in the flesh.
some people, how can you do that? Well, if you're doing it for the motive of gaining popularity or, or recognition or trying to, or trying to uh, you know, please yourself or using your ministry as a means of uh, aggrandizing yourself and so on and so forth, that's doing it in the flesh. And what does Paul say about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3? All that is wood, hay, and stubble. It will one day be destroyed, burned up. And you, if you know the Lord, you'll make it into heaven, but as it were, yet so as through fire. Or as some people say, by the skin of your teeth. I don't know how much skin your teeth have, but can't be much. The flesh produces works. Now, look at the contrast. But, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things as these, there is no law. See, the Spirit doesn't produce works. It produces character. All those things are character traits. In fact, if you do, do a comparative study through a word, all those character traits are really an expression of the person of Christ. He is love. He is joy. He is peace. He is my peace I give you. He is patience. He is kindness. He is goodness. He is faithfulness. He is gentleness. He is self-control. So the Spirit produces fruit, not fruits, you don't get one at one time, one at another time. No. So when the Spirit takes control, all that fruit is present. It may not be manifest at the same time, because it may not be necessary to be manifest at the same time. But it's all there at the same time. It's like an orange. You know, one orange, several you know, pieces of it. That's, these are the pieces of the orange, of the fruit of the Spirit. And when the character is godly, the life is also. One cannot have the character of Christ and not outwardly produce the life of Christ. Some might say, well, I don't know, I'm not really, you know, I'm not a very outgoing person. So it doesn't make any difference. <laughs> If you yield whatever personality you have and whatever gifts you have to the Holy Spirit, He'll produce the character of Christ in you and then you will begin to express Jesus in your life. In fact, uh, I once heard a Bible teacher say, you know, it's uh, Jesus, God wants us literally to be little Jesuses every place we go. Every place we go, we should be, we should be little Jesus. Everybody should, people should see in us Jesus. They should say, I don't know what it is, but there's something about that person. And then when they get to know us, they might say, wow, that person knows Jesus. Now, 
those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Verse 24. This is the life <clears throat> that we need to practice every day. Put our old man, you know, into a position whereby we consider him dead. You have no right, old man, to my life. You have no right to take control of my body. You have no right to take control of my mind. I am dead to you. And I am alive to Jesus. Now when we get down to verse 25, we come now to the life fulfilled. The life fulfilled. There was a tension that was portrayed there in verse 17. The tension between the flesh and the spirit. You know, the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. I once heard somebody say, well, you know, that what's going on in your house and your inside you is, is, uh, is like two dogs fighting. Whichever dog you feed the most, that's the one that's going to win. That's true. If we feed our flesh continually but starve our spirit, well, this flesh is going to be stronger. So we have to feed the spirit with the things of God. If we feed our spirit with the things of God, then the Holy Spirit has something to op- has something to work with. But if we starve our spirit, then the spirit of God has nothing to work with. Now, in verse twenty-five, another tension is set up: If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. It's the tension between God's provision and our possession. This is kind of where you know sanctification is worked out in a practical in a practical way. That is, He provides, we receive. It says, "If we live by the Spirit." Now, there, that's a if you excuse a little Greek grammar, it's a third-class conditional particle, which means since. Or you can interpret it, if we live by the Spirit, and we do, or since we live by the Spirit, we have the Spirit by virtue of our placing our faith in Christ. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ and receive Him as our Savior, that's the moment we receive the Spirit. Some people say, well, no, you get the Spirit later. Well, if you did, you wouldn't be a Christian until you did. <laughs> the problem is, if no man had the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his, as Paul told the church in Rome. The Spirit is ours the moment that we accept Christ. He becomes our earnest, our guarantee of our future inheritance and glory, and he also becomes our strength, our seal of possession. When we receive the Spirit, we are sealed as a possession of God, His child. Can you imagine that? A child of God. 
You ever sit down and think about that? Just consider that for a moment. You, if you know the Lord Jesus, are a child of God. Of that same Creator God who spoke the universe into being. That same Creator God who sustains that universe. And yet we become His child by faith in His Son. I don't know if I can fully wrap my mind around that. That's, that's almost incomprehensible. Why would He do that? Why would He do that? What <clears throat> have we done? What is there about me that makes me worthy of being a child of God? Not a thing. But God so loved the world. A lot of people say, what, what held Jesus on the cross? I'll tell you what held Him on the cross. It wasn't the nails. It wasn't even our sins. It was His love. If He hadn't loved us so much, He wouldn't have stayed there. But He so loved us that He was willing to give Himself a sacrifice for our sin. That's mind-blowing. And, and when we put our faith in that finished work of Christ on the cross and seek Him as our Savior, that's when He gives us a Spirit who takes up residence. And quite frankly, there's no choice whether we get the Spirit or not. We, we get it at that point. That's not a matter of choice. Accepting Him, you know, choosing to believe, that's, our, that's the choice. But there's no choice in getting the Spirit. We got it. Thank God. We have it. So he says, if or since we live by means of the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Here we go back to that word walk again, our life. Our lifestyle, the way we daily do our things, go to work, go to school, do whatever job it is we have to do, whether it be outside the house or inside the house. Let us walk by the Spirit. Now that is where the choice comes in. Now, having automatically received the Spirit when we placed our faith in Christ, Paul says, let us. It's a, it's, a, it's a phrase of urgency. Please, let us walk. In other words, he's urging us so that the Spirit so control us that we live out the Christ life on a daily basis. And again, let me reiterate Back in verse 16 when he said, walk by the Spirit, that was an imperative. <laughs> but it was a present tense imperative. And this here is a present tense also. Let us also walk by the Spirit. Continually, habitually, as a matter of daily life. Live out your life by means of and in the power of the Holy Spirit of God.
Now, but if we choose to not let the Spirit control us, that means we will have to automatically give power over to the flesh to produce its works. We've given it over. To choose not to live by the Spirit is to choose to live by the flesh. No alternative. No other, no other option. You either live by the Spirit or by the flesh. But we need to understand that as a Christian, we need to live by the Spirit. Now, let me read verse 16 and then verse 25 from uh, <clears throat> uh, the New Testament and expanded translation by Kenneth Wiest. He's a, uh, he was, he's now with the Lord, but he was head of the Greek department at Moody Bible Institute. Outstanding. He wrote a whole series of, of uh, called Wiest Word Studies on the New Testament. Be- wonderful thing. Here's verse 16. But I say, through the instrumentality of the Spirit, habitually order your manner of life, and you will in no wise execute the passionate desires of the evil nature. See, isn't that, isn't that cool? The way it kind of expands on it and clarifies it. Through the instrumentality, my means of, through the power of the Spirit, habitually, in other words, constantly order your manner of life. And you will in no wise execute the passionate desire of the evil nature. Then down at verse 25, he says this. In view of the fact that we are being sustained in spiritual life by the Spirit, by means of the Spirit, let us go on ordering our conduct. We're sustained by the Spirit. Let's live by the Spirit. We have life by the Spirit. Let's live by the Spirit. And don't ever think that, that apart from the Spirit of God, you can successfully live out the Christian life. Paul, let me remind you of what Paul said in Galatians 3.3. So, he's talking to the Galatians here. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected or brought to maturity by the flesh? Nope. It can't happen. It can't happen. The two are in contrast. They're, in, they're in constantly in, they're in opposition to the other. We begin by the Spirit. When we place our faith in Christ, we are perfected or brought to maturity by the Spirit as we continually yield to Him. So what do we do? What do we do? Well, first, two suggestions or two, two things. First, be fully aware of the fact that we are commanded to live by the Spirit. Paul does not give us an option. Now, we can disobey that command, and we often do, unfortunately. I know I often do. But we are, fully, well, we are to be fully aware of the command to live by means of the Spirit. That's first. Secondly, we can choose to let the Spirit take over every aspect of our lives, desires, choices, actions, and results, Only in this way can we live out a life pleasing to God and know that regardless of life circumstances, God will work it all out to his glory and for our good. You can only experience Romans 8.28 when you're living by means of the Spirit. And we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him.
for whom he gave his life. Let us remember, walk, live, always by the Spirit. Thank you, Father, for your word today. I pray you would now give us the ability to carry it out, to live it, to be those who are identified as spirit-led followers of Jesus. We ask in his name. Amen.